Master Tavern Keepers, History of the Old World. So, perhaps now we can come onto this citadel of lead. This thing that has sat like a dark shadow behind all of your tales. Just what is it? Oh, well now, the citadel sits just off to the east of my home of Cranachmere. If you recall, upon seeing this structure, the father of King Dunco of East Albion, King Maul, was uh, inspired to begin building his own castles out of uh, rock and stone. But uh, to most others, the Citadel of Lead is a place to fear. And like the great Ogham, the Beast Peaks and Ochness, it is avoided by the common folk of Albion, if at all possible. Even the giants are reluctant to go anywhere near it. This was not always the case though. Once upon a time, it was one of the most sacred temples of the Truthsayers. But unlike most of the sacred places in Albion, such as the Forge of the Old Ones, a stone-stepped pyramid upon a warren of tunnels and caverns, or the Great Argum, a massive set of standing stones, the Citadel of Lead is not made from trustworthy and dependable stone at all. Rather, it's made from a, a strange metal. And as such... It is a towering, metallic fortress that stretches up high, all but scraping the sky above. Ah, how uh, enigmatic. But what purpose could it possibly serve? Ah, oh, well, although it is assumed to have been made by the Slan for the Old Ones millennia ago, no one truly knows why it was constructed. The common folk say it is the resting place of a god, both a prison and yet a throne. But uh, this is nothing more than tittle-tattle, and we truthsayers are certain it was once a structure of great importance to the Old Ones, in some way connected to the Polar Gates and communication across the Empyrean. But uh, it fell out of use during the early days of the Great War Against Chaos, and has remained locked up since, closed to one and all. And... Uh, not even we truthsayers can now find any entrance to the fortress. It has become a, become a mysterious place. But that said, my old mentor, the Venerable Bede, made an extensive study of the Citadel, both the place itself and its history, and unearthed part of its story. He traced the shutting up of the Citadel back to a particular series of events centred around a singular individual, a malignant figure, thankfully now banished from the world, well, pretty much anyway. Tell me, have you heard the name Bellacor? Wait, 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 Bellacor, Bellacor, yes, I know that name, ah, oh, yes, 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 I know it. 
When I used to work on the old Norse whaling ship, one of the sea shanties we used to sing was about him. I never knew what it was, though. I just used to uh, sing along. Oh, cut the men down, Norskans, cut the men down. We, hey, cut the men down. For the dark master in two and in twain. We, hey, oh, cut the men down. The father in shadow is watching us all. We, hey, cut the men down. To the herald of conquest will answer the call. We, hey, oh, cut the men down. The lord of torment, Belak or the spurned. We, hey, cut the men down. For the four tokens come to so reap, spill, and burn. We, hey, oh, cut the men down. Ach, Master Tavernkeeper, I think that's quite enough of that. But uh, it certainly seems to be a shanty about the one I'm speaking of. The first demon prince of the realm of chaos. The servant, and yet not the servant of the undivided pantheon of the dark gods. Belacor, the dark master. Ah, I see. What then, pray tell, did your venerable mentor uncover? I feel this is knowledge worth knowing. Ach, well, he told me this. savage world. The mortal being that would become Belacor was born. We know not what his mortal name truly was, nor if he was even a man. And some argue that he could equally have been an elf or a dwarf. But my studies lead me to believe that he was, in fact, of human stock. He was the first, the first to tread the path to damnation, the first to fight his way to the gate of the Empyrean, the first to pledge his soul to the chaos gods and be elevated. The myths told by the Norskans tell us that he was a fierce warrior, an indefatigable champion of the pantheon of chaos, and the dark gods favoured him. Through boon and blessing, quest and reward, they lured him ever northwards, across land and sea he passed, until at last he came to the northern wastes. Still onwards he travelled, 
killing as he went, until, at last, he arrived at the sight of the polar gate of the holy old ones, and used it to gain entry into the very realm of the dark gods themselves. In the realm of madness, he did not flinch. He did not quake in his boots. He did not falter, nor did his iron will waver. The dark gods saw this and rewarded him with destruction. They ripped him apart, skin from flesh and flesh from bone, and he slipped off his mortal coil. They then clad him in the stuff of chaos itself, recreating him in their own image, each gifting him a portion of their power, creating a foul warp creature, and he arose as the first demon prince of chaos, their unifier, their herald, their general, their chosen. But from the first in all these roles he failed. Rather than creating unity, he created strife. And rather than bending the knee to the dark gods, he stood. But they did not seem to care, and instead the gods battled each other with the aim of attempting to force the others to relinquish their claim on his soul and for Belagor to devote himself solely to one of his patrons so that they might rule over them all. But Belagor was no mere pawn in this cosmic game. He played each god off against the others, taking their gifts but giving naught in return. He swelled in power until, fearful, he had overplayed his hand, for he had indeed. He fled back to the world of mortals and beyond the reach of the gods, arriving back as the polar gates fell. And who knows, perhaps it was the war over his soul and his coming that played a part in their collapse. This is a mystery though, but what is certain is this, at that time the holy gates into the webway that stretched between the stars were ripped apart and shattered and our world was engulfed in the lower stuff of magic. The winds of magic blew unfettered over our blighted, fated place, and the demons ran lampant and unimpeded across the lands of men, dwarfs, and elves. Through the deep reservoirs of power that lay within him, Bellacor 
was able to wrest control of hordes of the newly invading demons and bind them to his will, forging what would later be known as the Legion of the First Prince. And with this army he began to conquer. But it was not only over the Neverborn that he exerted his will. Pelicor drew the barbarian tribes of men in the north to his banner too, through a combination of power, martial prowess, and trickery, and they pledged themselves to him. He became akin to a god. For generations, Belacor reveled in his dominance, and under his clawed feet, cities were crushed, whole peoples trampled into dust, and entire races quashed out of existence. The kingdoms of the elves, the dwarves, and the forces of we, truthsayers, and our allies on our very own Isle of Albion, too, were beset. But we three were one of the few that could withstand the fury of Belacor's legions, although the butcher's price was steep. It was not so for many, for the demon prince, in addition to drawing sustenance from the winds of magic that was smothering the world, also wielded this raw preternatural power like a weapon against his foes, and in this way he conquered. In fact, he became unstoppable. Victory followed victory, and Belacor raised up monoliths to his greatness, and monuments to his power and glory across the lands that he ravaged. Statues in the likeness of the first prince were erected across his domain, as were stone staircases that seemed to stretch up to nowhere. These were places he might bask in the unfettered winds of magic that swept through the sky above. At his bidding, his minions too dug into the earth, and great wells down into the ground were carved out in order to gain access to deposits of warpstone and the energies of the sea of souls that had sunk into the bedrock below. Elsewhere, thrones were set upon places of power, places where leyline bisects leyline, and here he could sit and amass more and more of the raw power of the realm of chaos itself unto himself. And it was this desire to possess yet more of these that brought his armies to the shores of Albion. From the northeast, his greatest mortal seafarers led our mariners of ships to the beaches of Albion, bringing hordes of Fermir allies with them, some of whom would stay and become a plague upon our land 
long after these invasions, the enemy came in their thousands, and we fought against the defenders of Albion, clansmen and giant alike, led by we truthsayers, and there was slaughter. We were pushed back again and again, until at last we made a stand outside the sacred citadel of lead, a prize that Bellacor seemed to desire above all others. We do not know what happened, but there was a sacrifice. The first council of high druids completely vanished, and the citadel of lead closed its gates forever to both friend and foe alike. But the price was worth it, for the forces of the first prince were driven from these shores, although the land they'd set foot upon was devastated and remains befouled to this day. In the aftermath, the truthsayers that remained began the construction of stone circles across the land. The reclamation of the corrupted nodes of power across the conquered territories and the work of hiding our isle in mist and fog to save it from Bellacor's envious eyes. It was also at this time that the elves on Ulthuan started preparations for their final solution to the demonic invasion, their great vortex, for their need was dire, as the great four powers had been drawn to battle with the elves over beleaguered Ulthuan. But it was not only the forces of order that were working against Bellacor. His own success, too, was to be his undoing. For, as conquest made Bellacor more powerful, the demon prince's mightiest mortal champions, devotees of the dark gods themselves, drew the gaze of the four dark brothers in the Empyrean, and each champion, too, was raised to demonhood, themselves becoming demon princes, no longer servants to the first prince. No, now they were rivals. Bellacor suddenly found himself at war with would-be usurpers. We here in Albion were spared as his plans to return to the isle at the head of his armies were abandoned, as he had to now fight rebellion within his own ranks. Worse yet was that with every new demon prince who ascended, Bellacor felt his own powers weaken and ebb away, as the gifts that had been bestowed upon him by the four chaos gods were withdrawn and bestowed upon more loyal 
servants. And so, Bellacor's dark empire splintered as the newborn demon princes battled against both the first prince and each other, each attempting to carve out their own realms in the mortal sphere. Their servants dying in their thousands as they warred. Yet none could approach achieving what Bellacor had, and none, not even the first prince himself, for all his guile and wit, could bind the forces of chaos back together again. The infighting in the old world drew many demons too, away from the war for the realm of Ulthuan, allowing the elves to begin implementing the great vortex and siphon off much of the ambient magic in the world, robbing the demons of the thing they needed above all else to manifest in the realm of mortals. As you know, the elves succeeded, and magic faded from the world, drawing the demons back into the sea of souls. Bellacor was the last to be banished. His link to the mortal plane greater than any others. But even he could not stand against the rising tide. Does not end here.